The Bible reading this morning is from Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 35. Acts 10, verse 1 to 35. And my part is headed Peter and Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he, he stared and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have descended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tenor, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again and second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Salmon's house, stood at the gate, and called out to ask whether Salmon, who was called Peter, was watching there. And while Peter was following the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are look, looking for you. Rise up and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the man and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spo spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I am, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, 
You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in broad clothing. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tenor, by the sea. So I went for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Well, thank you very much uh, to Case and to Hetty for, for uh, leading us there. Um, it'd be really good if you keep your Bibles open there at Acts chapter 10. Uh, we are going to be considering this whole chapter. It's a big chapter. There's a lot going on, uh, but we'll give it a go uh, this morning. Um, I forgot to mention, or I've just been reminded that I, I needed to mention also this morning that we had, there was a wedding yesterday, uh, and Megan Theory was married to her fiance, now her husband, Jesse. Uh, so we really wish them the Lord's blessing as they begin their life together. And also congratulations to, to Peter and Karen uh, on their first child. Uh, being married. It's uh, wonderful news. Hey, also, just to let you know, uh, before we get into this passage, uh, preaching-wise, what's happening in the next couple of weeks, uh, if you read the newsletter, you would have noticed that the, uh, the eldership have given me a couple of weeks uh, of study leave, a couple of weeks without writing and preparing sermons. Uh, so next Sunday, Lord willing, we have Dave Gruneboom uh, bringing us God's Word, and he'll be doing that from his home in Sydney. Uh, Dave is a minister in the CRCA, but he now currently works for a um, a Christian organization called the International Justice Mission, uh, which is a, a strongly Christian-based organization seeking to see the freedom of people living in slavery uh, all around the world. And so Dave's going to be opening up God's word for us next Sunday. And then uh, Sunday after that, the plan, Lord willing, uh, is that Murray will be bringing us God's word on that Sunday. So uh, we're so thankful to God for providing these two guys uh, so I can get a little bit of a, a break over the next couple of weeks. Uh, today, though, we're here, we're Acts chapter 10. If you're new, uh, if you're visiting, we've been spending our time a lot of this year in this book of Acts, uh, and this is where we're up to today. Uh, on the email that went out, hopefully you got an outline for this morning with some discussion questions to use at home, using your growth group, or just use by yourself, maybe, uh, as reflecting on the message today. Kids, hopefully you've got the kids sheet ready to go in front of you. Uh, with your word finder and your outline and some questions to answer as we make our long. Now let's, before we jump in, let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you that we can have your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God who speaks to us. You've spoken in the past and you speak to us still today. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have this freedom in this country uh, to study your word, to hear it preached. And we pray, Lord God, that we would make the most of it. We ask that you would give us uh, attentiveness to what you're saying, open hearts, uh, open minds, 
And Lord God, that by your spirit, you'd be at work amongst us this morning. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, over the course of this year, it's been pretty easy to develop quite a negative view of the world in which we live and to really be struck by how dark and desperate a place our world is. Uh, 2020, so far, has not been filled with many good news stories. If you can remember back that far, we started the year with severe bushfires in several places, a loss of life and a loss of property. Of course, the, the, the headline which has dominated the year has been the global pandemic, a massive loss of life, economic disaster, loss of jobs, uh, restrictions on freedom, and the flow-on impacts on the people, people's mental health. Over the last few weeks, we've had drawn to our attention uh, deaths at the hands of the police and the ensuing demonstrations and protests. Political turmoil in many parts of the world and even in the last week in our own state. 2020 has been a tough year and it's hard not to think about and to look at our world in a rather negative way. Well, this morning we are, we are thinking about our world, the world in which we live, but we're not thinking it re about it really in this light, but rather as our world relates to the gospel of Jesus. Over the last few weeks in the book of Acts, we've been thinking about these three conversions that make up chapters 8, 9, and 10. And today we're in, in the final one of those conversions. And together, these, these conversions, they set the scene for something big in the book of Acts, something big in the ongoing story of Jesus, in what he continues to do and teach by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of the church. It's been good news for the outcast. It's been good news for the sinner. And today, it is good news for the whole world. Now, as this story begins, we, we start here with two different visions, one to Cornelius and then one to Peter. In our vision to Cornelius, we, we were introduced to this man. He's a Roman centurion, so he's the commander of about 100 men based in Caesarea. But he's a foreigner. He, he's part of the hated occupying army living in Israel with his family. But then balanced with that, we, there's a lot said good about him. We're told that he's devout, he's God-fearing, he's generous, and he's prayerful. Now, this is, this is not an indication that he's already a, a believer, he hasn't become Jewish, but there is something about Israel's religion that attracts him and that he participates in. God has already been at work in his life, preparing him for this moment. But he's still an outsider. He's a Gentile, and that's going to be important as we go through. Now, we read then that at about the ninth hour, which is the, the time of prayer, an angel visits Cornelius and informs him that God knows of his prayers, he knows of his generosity, 
and he's instructed now to fetch for Peter and bring him to his house. Cornelius obeys. Uh, he dispatches servants and a soldier, and they go on their way to get him. It's then now in verse 9 that we're introduced to the second vision, which is important. And this time, it's Peter. The men from Cornelius are on their way. That They're nearly at his house. And we find Peter on his roof praying. Now, before we look at the vision, which is, which is really important, I, I want to notice something interesting here. That both of these visions come about at times where the men are praying. Now, this is certainly not the main point of the passage, but it's worth noting. And it's worth noting because this is actually something very common throughout the book of Acts. You remember way back in chapter 4, after Peter and John had been arrested and then released, all the believers were together, they were praying, and as they prayed, the house shook and the Holy, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Just before chapter 10 here, at the end of chapter 9, Peter kneels and prays and Dorcas is raised to life. In chapter 12, Peter will be in prison. The believers will be praying and the prison will open to him. In chapter 13, the leadership in the Church of Antioch will be fasting and worshipping where God will say to them, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the mission. Chapter 16, Paul and Silas will be in prison praying and the, their chains will fall off. In Acts 22, Paul will be praying in the temple and God will warn him of the dangers that are to come. You see, there's, a, there's this incredible pattern going on here throughout the whole book. God acts when his people pray. God leads his people when they pray. Now, that doesn't mean that every time we pray, we'll get a lightning bolt or a vision. That, that is exceptional here. But it reminds us that God is at work in and through the prayers of his people. He moves his people. He responds to his people. He, he leads his people. You see, I, I know for myself that this is an aspect of prayer which I, I so readily overlook. And maybe I'm not alone in that. It's a part of prayer that we might not even really allow for. Sometimes prayer can be really rushed. It can feel like a chore that we've got to get through or a, or a box that we need to tick. But if we do that, then, then we're in danger of missing something. We miss the opportunities to be moved, to be led by God. I think many of us could relate to, to, to times where we, we've been praying and, and we've been praying for someone or something when, when God has really laid something on our hearts, maybe to call that person or to, to pray for a certain person or to act in a certain way. How often does God give us this incredible sense of, of, of peace and calm as we pray to him? Or, or he convicts us. You see, prayer is, is communication and not just monologue. As we pray, we, we submit ourselves to God. We pray with hearts open to him. We allow him to move in us. Now, this vision while he's praying of, of Peter's is, is very specific and it's hugely important. Peter, who is hungry, sees a sheet lowered down in front of him and on it 
are all kinds of reptiles and animals and birds. And then he hears this voice, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, when this happens, Peter is shocked. He is horrified because on that sheet are animals that God has said not to eat. Remember that Peter is Jewish. He has strict dietary rules that come from the Old Testament. These were laws that made Israel unique. It expressed that they were different, that they were, they were set apart for God. They were part of the purity laws that God had given them because he, he lived in their midst. Peter thinks, no way. But the voice answers him, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happens three times. Now, Peter is really still thinking about this when, when all of a sudden the, the doorbell rings and there are three strangers uh, calling out at the door. And again, God speaks to him. The Holy Spirit says to him in verse 19, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And so down the stairs goes Peter. He opens up the door, and there are these, these, these three Gentiles who tell him about Cornelius and an angel, and they want Peter to come over. Now, several hundred years earlier, in the same city of Joppa, another man had received an invitation or a vision from God and a calling to go to the city of Gentiles. That man was Jonah, and God had called him to go to the city of Nineveh. You probably remember what Jonah did or what he didn't do. He said, no way. He jumped ship. He, he headed on a boat that was going in the very opposite direction. He was having nothing to do with these Gentile people. And so we're, we're here asking the question, what's going to happen this time? Well, at this point, Peter takes a first bold step. He invites the Gentiles to come in and stay. Something is dawning on him, but it's not quite there yet. The next day, he heads off with these men to Cornelius. We read a little later on that he's accompanied by, by six companions, and eventually they make their way to the house of Cornelius. This is bold step number two. Peter now enters the house of this foreigner, this Gentile, this occupying commander. And it's here that we have the beginnings of an aha moment for Peter. Something has been set off by this vision from God. It's challenged his views and it's changing his mind. And in verse 28, he says this, or verse 20, 28, Halfway through, he says, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter realizes that God wasn't talking about animals, or not, not firstly about animals. God was talking about people. Now, he's not quite there yet, 
And so Cornelius recounts to him from verse 30 onwards the vision that he had from God. This vision where God told him to call for Simon and when he sent for him and now that he's come. And then finally we get the aha moment in full. It's verses 34 and 35 where he says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, while this is an aha moment for Peter, it's important for us to realize that this is not something new. At least it's not something new for God, and it's not new for what he's revealed already in his word. Throughout the Old Testament, God had made it clear that over and over that Israel's election, being chosen by God, was not favoritism. It was election being set apart by God, for God, for a worldwide purpose. God's plan was always bigger than Israel. God's plan had always been for the whole world. We started this morning with with Psalm 95, didn't we? A reminder that the whole world belongs to God. He made it. He created it. It it belongs to him. And over and over, Israel is told that they are blessed to be a blessing. God calls Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12. and He makes all these promises about a great nation and kings and blessings. And he says, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. The prophets keep promising one day when God restores his people, the nations will come. People from every tribe, every language, every nation will come and be part of the family of God. And finally, as the Lord Jesus has come, now that the king reigns over heaven and earth, having conquered sin and death, having paid the penalty for sin, now is the moment for that to come. And in this moment, the light bulb goes on for Peter. The gospel's not just for Israel, it's for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And in a few minutes, uh, moments after sharing the gospel with those in the room with him, he will witness the Holy Spirit come on them just like he came on Peter. It will be confirmed. God is calling all people to himself to repent, to finally be accepted through Jesus. And this, of course, becomes a a major turning point. Last week, we looked at the the conversion, or the last couple of weeks, we looked at the conversion of of Paul. He'll be the one, the messenger, to take this gospel to the Gentiles. And here God flings open wide the door. We know that this story is significant. It'll be told two more times uh, in chapter 11, and then again very briefly in chapter 15. Now, the issue, of course, of whether Gentiles are included in the family of God is is somewhat of a a point that we take for granted. 
Because all of us, as, as far as I'm aware, are Gentile people. We are not asking the question whether or not non-Israelites can be part of the family of God. But what we need to be reminded of over and over is that our God has a global plan for the gospel. That this world belongs to him. And that our election, our saving, it's not favoritism. It's being set apart for that global plan. And that God's leading and guiding the whole way through chapter 10 and and the way that he leads and guides today is because it's his plan taking the gospel to his world. You see, when the Lord Jesus, when he, he invites us, he calls us to be people who make disciples, when he calls us to be witnesses, when he opens doors and he opens opportunities to us, he ushers us into the greatest movement that this world has ever seen. God's movement to restore, to redeem a broken, fallen, rebellious world back to himself. Now, we have in in some ways been witnessing a worldwide movement in the last few weeks. People taking a stand against injustice and particularly calling for the end of injustice towards people of colour. And it is incredible how far and how quickly this has spread around the world. And no matter what you think of the cause, uh, what you think about the way that it's being done, it's having a global impact. And what that impact will be, we'll have to wait and see. But we need to remember that the Lord Jesus, the one through whom the world was made, the one for whom the world exists, the one to whom the world belongs, the one by whom the world is held together, this Jesus has been working on the world's largest, biggest global movement ever. It's the movement of the gospel where people's lives are changed, where they're transformed, where people are brought from darkness into life, where for people through repentance and faith in Jesus are brought from an eternity without God, an eternity of hell, to eternal life in God's kingdom, in God's family. It's bigger than what our church or our churches are doing. It's bigger than what you and I are doing. And it's exciting. And it should be motivating. There is no greater cause to give your life to. There is no movement that is as significant and as life-changing and as impacting as the movement of Jesus. It's a cause where the outcome is certain. It's a cause where the victory was already being won. And it will be the only movement still standing 
at the end of time. Sometimes we need to capture this bigger vision of what God is doing in his world. It's so easy to get wrapped up in what we're doing and what we're about, and we forget that God is calling people from every corner of the globe to come to know Jesus and find life in him. Sometimes we need to be challenged by this. Are we committed to this global plan for the work of the gospel? Are we excited by it and driven by it? Does it shape our outlook of the world, the way we we view the news, the way we pray, the way we spend our money, the, the kinds of relationships that we form? Are we being moved and motivated and shaped by this great gospel plan that God has for his world? You see, while this outlook and the, the gospel causes us to think global, we're called to act local, to act where we are. Now, just to be clear, this is not to say that we shouldn't be interested in mission work. We shouldn't pray for missionaries or, or we shouldn't support missionaries or that we shouldn't be sent as missionaries even. These are good things and a part of God's plan. But first and foremost, God's global work It calls us to act local, where God has placed us, knowing that it fits into his grand plan. You see, this is what we find Peter doing. This aha moment with massive implications, first and foremost, means that he shares the gospel of Jesus with the very people in front of him. God has been leading the whole story up until this point. He led Cornelius, he led Peter, he opened Peter's eyes, and now he leads Peter to share. He crosses what previously would have been an insurmountable barrier. He speaks of Jesus. Again, with many of the the sermons that we've looked at in Acts and some of them more in depth, It's Jesus through and through. His life, his death, his rising, his appearing to witnesses and his call to believe in him for the forgiveness of sins. And at the end of this chapter, before Peter has even finished speaking, God sends the Holy Spirit on those who hear. As they put their faith, their hope, their trust In Jesus, they are baptized and they too join the family of God. You see, this is what our understanding and our commitment to God's plan for the world through Christ will lead us to. It causes us to look at the people that God has placed in our lives. People in whom he may have already been at work. People whom he may have been leading up to this point. And it causes us to pray for them, 
to love them, to build relationships with them, and ultimately to share the gospel of Jesus with people. It's people regardless of background, of race, of previous religion, of color, of ethnicity. It may be people who are, who are very different from ourselves, people of different socioeconomic backgrounds, people with different dreams and ambitions and lifestyles and interests. It may be people with baggage and hurts and fears. It doesn't matter because it's people that we are called to share this good news with. It'll cause us to cross boundaries and barriers that whether we or they or society has put in place. Because this is good news for the whole world. This is good news for our friends and our families, our neighbours, our workmates, our schoolmates. This is good news with eternal implications. And so, yes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost. It's always going to cost. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us giving up our preferences. It's going to cost us energy. But it's worth it. Because we're not alone. Because we're a part of the great gospel plan that God has for the whole of his work. For every tribe, every nation, every people, and every tongue. Let's pray to him together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you that you have not left our world and us to our own devices. We thank you that from the start you had a plan to restore your rebellious world. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he has done and is doing. Thank you for the gospel. Lord God, open our minds, open our eyes, open our hearts to this work that you are doing. Lord God, may we be encouraged as we remember your plan for the whole world. May it move us and shake us. May it cause us to look at our lives and the people you've put in it. May it cause us to be bold, to speak, to love, to act. Lord God, please change our hearts, change our attitudes, change our minds. Give us great love for the gospel, a great confidence in your work, and a great love for the people you've placed in our lives. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.